Politics, Politics, and Life Sciences Radio, also known as PLS Radio, is a show about the interplay of life sciences and politics. PLS Radio is hosted by Dean L. Finelli, Ph.D., an intellectual property attorney in Washington, D.C., whose practice focuses on issues connected to the life sciences industry. PLS explores cutting-edge topics involving the biotech and pharma ecosystems, political and governmental policy issues affecting the biotech and pharma industries, and much more. PLS guests include scientists, business, medical professionals, media personalities, newsmakers, and political leaders. Politics and Life Sciences Radio is your place for hot topic discussions and real news in the life sciences industry. Now, it's time for Politics and Life Sciences Radio with your host, Dr. Dean L. Finelli. Good afternoon, and thank you for joining us today on Politics and Life Science Radio. I'm your host, Dean Finelli. I'm very excited to have as our guest today, uh, Mr. Neil Romano. Mr. Romano is a former chairman at the National Council of Disability, and in 2007, Mr. Romano was nominated by President uh, George W. Bush to be the Assistant Secretary of Labor for Disability Employment Policy. So, Mr. Romano definitely uh, is going to provide a lot of great information. We know that... uh, Looking at this virus and how it affects people, it certainly affects people, older people, people with disabilities, uh, especially people that are obese, people that have uh, respiratory disabilities, affects them at a much greater uh, percent and in a much greater way than uh, people that don't have these morbid comorbidities. So looking forward to talking with Mr. Romano. Before we bring on uh, Mr. Romano, let's see what's going on in the life science sector. So it looks like the FDA and the CDC uh, will authorize booster shots for all Americans coming this September. And I think when you hear this statement, uh, it's not completely unexpected. I think a lot of people, you know, as this kind of continued to expand, especially with the Delta variant, it kind of looked like we were going to have to have booster shots. And it looks like that is the case now. But the one issue that I have with this is, you know, we've had this continued mixed messaging. You know, first it was the boosters would only be available for people with that are immunocompromised, people that have had solid uh, organ transplants, people that have, uh, for example, are un- have cancer and are taking chemotherapy and other drugs that tend to suppress the immune response. Those individuals originally were eligible for a booster shot. Uh, then more recently, the CDC and FDA came out and said, Starting September 20th, all Americans over 18 who have gotten the mRNA vaccines will be eligible for a booster. So a little bit of mixed messaging here that continues. I think, you know, a lot of people that have gotten the the shots, most people will still have a very strong immune response. I think when we look at the data that's come out for the especially the mRNA vaccines from Pfizer and from Moderna, they're very effective against even the variants. They do drop. The efficacy Mm -hmm. certainly drops Mm -hmm. with this Delta variant. It's much more transmissible. But importantly to note that even though we're seeing a lot of what's been referred to in the past as breakthrough infections, people who have been vaccinated, who become infected, uh, that number is technically going up. But the good news is a lot of these people that are having these breakthrough infections, uh, most of them are not getting 
uh, moderate to severe disease, and they are recovering with mild to somewhat moderate uh, symptoms. So that's certainly good news. Uh, at this point, the Johnson & Johnson, uh, people who've received the Johnson & Johnson vaccine aren't yet eligible for a booster, but uh, it, for all intents and purposes, uh, the three authorized vaccines at some point, you know, we could all imagine that people who've gotten J&J will need a booster as well. When we, um, you know, look at these vaccines and, you know, as the Delta variant tends to spread, you know, one of the things that we're increasingly hearing is more and more businesses, more and more universities and schools are now requiring their employees to be vaccinated uh, in order to return to work. And in fact, it's almost double uh, what it was the number of employers in the last month uh, from July to now that are requiring this. So we're seeing a lot more employers are recognizing that these vaccines do work, they are safe, and that's really the only way to, that we're going to get through this. We had originally heard, you know, from Dr. Fauci, we were somewhere in the 70 to you know, I even heard up to 90% of the population needed to be vaccinated. We were hoping we can get away with uh, being on the lower end of that. But unfortunately, we've seen that even having 70% of adults vaccinated in the U.S., we're still seeing a lot of spread. And unfortunately, the, the vast majority of that spread of disease and hospitalizations and deaths is in unvaccinated people. So that's really troubling. And, you know, the good <clears throat> Side note to that is we are seeing the number of vaccinations go up. I think we hit over a million people vaccinated uh, earlier this week. Uh, that's up. We were down around 400,000 a day uh, even a month ago. So that's certainly an improvement. And it looks like uh, the transmissibility of this Delta variant is motivating people uh, that in the past were a little reluctant or hesitant to get vaccinated. They're now changing their mind and getting vaccinated. So that's certainly uh, very good news. I'd like to bring on our guest now, um, Mr. Neil Romano. Mr. Romano is, uh, was a Trump appointee and the former chairman at the National Council on Disability. Uh, he has dedicated his career to marketing of ideas and messages to help save lives and promote public policy. Uh, Mr. Romano's extensive professional background includes tenure as director of communications for the White House Office of Drug Abuse Policy. And as I mentioned in 2007, uh, Mr. Romano was nominated by President George W. Bush to be the Assistant Secretary of Labor for Disability Employment and Policy and was unanim unanimously confirmed by the U.S. Senate, which of all the accomplishments, maybe that's the uh, the biggest accomplishment, especially <laughs> in this political environment. Mr. Romano, thank you for uh, joining us today. You must, uh, your reputation must have preceded you in front of the Senate. They don't tend to agree on anything. So I'm glad you made well, it easy uh, for them. Well, doctor, uh, first of all, let me thank you for the opportunity to be on your show again. It's always a pleasure. And, you know, that's one of those things that I'll just never know how it happened, but I am delighted that it did happen. Yeah, that's certainly great news and appreciate your service to the country. So one question I have right off the bat is, mm -hmm. you know, in, in your views, how do you think uh, the overall response, especially, you know, we know people over 65, we know people with comorbidities, disabilities uh, have been at a higher risk. Uh, how do you think the response has been? Do you think uh, we've been uh, adequately handling people uh, that are more uh, prone to, you know, being affected or at least even, you know, not being more infected, but just not able to get vaccines? Have we accommodated people uh, with disabilities? 
Well, I think that's a you know that's a very very uh, frankly difficult question, but I'm gonna I'm gonna start answering that by saying essentially people with disabilities always seem to be the last people in line when they should be the first people in line for a lot of these medical services. Um, uh, frankly. Uh, there is some uh, evidence that's saying that people with disabilities are not being vaccinated at the same rate, which is, which is in and of itself tragic when we know, for instance, that the nursing home debacles that we've seen around the country uh, were primarily uh, people who were old and people who had aged into disabilities and people who were under the age of 65 who were put in nursing homes uh, and wind up there in some cases um, and they were the ones who were getting it. So we would have, you would have figured they would have been the, among the first when the vaccines came out. So I, I think it's been, frankly, I think it's been a little slow, uh, but it doesn't surprise me in some aspects of it. Um, the disability community has had, sadly, has had some people within the community uh, that have, um, have, have said that other vaccines have caused other problems related to disability. There's people out there that are absolutely convinced and keep banging the drum that uh, various vaccines have caused uh, autism. And it creates a certain degree of hesitancy, I think, by parents. But the fact of the matter is you do have people with, uh, with intellectual disabilities, Down syndrome, things like that. Uh, that haven't been vaccinated yet and should be. And then, of course, there's the whole uh, other aspect of this. We have people who are blind and deaf, who for a great long time at the beginning of this pandemic were not getting full information. You know, it's not, it's not enough just to talk about it. It's not enough to send out printed materials. We have to have accessible uh, websites. We have to have accessible press conferences so that uh, those folks can get the information they need. So my answer is no, I don't think it has been uh, as effective among the population of people with disabilities. You mentioned deaf and blind people. I mean, and disability is a very broad term. You know, when you classify disability, you know, for, for regular people, you know, we may look at someone, you know, with Down syndrome and say that's a disability, someone that's blind. Mm -hmm. Is there mm -hmm. one group of disabled that, you know, is at higher risk uh, for this or that has been kind of missing the boat, when it, so to speak, when it comes to vaccination and information uh, as opposed to another group? Or is it kind of, do you view it across the board? Uh, it's. Uh, I actually think it's pretty much across the board uh, because you know disability. By by, as you know, doctor, by the very definition of ADA is um, uh, a physical or mental impairment that substantially limits a major life factor. So there are people uh, that have disabilities that you may not jump up and think about, but there are also people sometimes with comorbidities, things like diabetes, high blood pressure, heart, you know, heart disease, uh, cancer, um, issues like that. Uh, I am a person um, with leukemia, for instance. So I got a vaccine very early on and I'm going to you know, get, the, uh, get the booster. But, you know, there are people that are more in many, many cases with disabilities that are somewhat invisible to the system, too. So you don't always know. And frankly, part of the reason for that is that they don't always identify as a person with a disability. So it's, it's a you know, it's a complex matter with people with disabilities. But it's I think it's equally complex with uh, Americans in general.
the the president has said that you know we've heard a lot about and we're learn, still learning a lot about COVID and these long-term effects. President Biden has indicated that uh, these long-term effects from COVID uh, can be a, considered a disability under federal civil rights laws. Is how does that play out as we learn more about these potential long-term effects and these long-haul effects? Will we have an expanding definition of disability that you think we can encompass this? Because obviously we're still learning from your experience, you know, working at these various administrations, you know, how do they, is there a definition that would be expanded to include these long haul effects or is that something statutorily that would need to be done? You know, actually, no, uh, because uh, once again, the the ADA definition of uh, of disability is, is very clear. And quite frankly, it is very broad. Uh, if one gets into the law itself, it is extremely broad. And some people think it's too broad and some people think it's not broad enough. But it is a very, very broad definition. But it has to be made clear that the president said that we need to be prepared for this. We need to make people know that this has a potential of this. I mean, he uh, it was very, very clear that this would still it was not going to be automatic that a person who had covid would have uh, would be considered a person with a disability. And that the very standard kind of things we do, doctor, in the field, um, which would include individual assessment, would still have to take place. Uh, You know, in in disability, uh, most of there's a lot of disability that people can obviously see, hear and understand. So you have people with, uh, you know, you have someone who has Down syndrome or someone who's born blind or someone who is deaf and someone who's in a wheelchair. Those are obvious disabilities. But then you have mental health uh, issues. And when you have uh, something like this over the long term, you're going to get some things that are going to exacerbate some issues that already exist. So, for instance, for a person um, who is a, a person suffering with depression or with some kind of mental illness, um, you know, we don't understand the full effects that COVID's going to have because of isolation, uh, because of not being able to go out and do things. You know, is that going to exacerbate the problems in their lives? The chances are very likely. If you have people who have what would now be considered a minor, um, you know, a minor problem, uh, although it's not minor, the people have, but something like asthma that isn't full blown. And if this exacerbates it and brings it to the point where people are having, you know, significant problems, then those individual assessments will pick those things up and they will, um, you know, they'll, they'll begin to understand it. But I think part of what we need to understand, doctor, is that we're at a point right now where we're talking about long-term effects in a short-term environment. We still have a long way to go to see what's going to happen long after this pandemic is over. Um, you know, God willing, when it's over, uh, there's, that's when we're going to start finding out about long-term effects. And that's when the things that the president, for instance, is talking about will really kick in and become extremely important. Yeah, I'm glad you brought up the, the mental effects uh, and the, such as mm-hmm. depression. You know, we've been hearing a lot about children and they've been remote for the last you know, year, some more. Uh, how does this country do enough for children with disability? I'm going to go back to my first answer. I think you probably know this country doesn't do enough for anybody with disabilities. Uh, if you think simply about COVID and you think about a child with a disability who has a uh, who has a um, is going to school 
Okay. Uh, if that person couldn't go to school and is a person who's blind or deaf, let's just use that for an example. Um, and people were being homeschooled and being taught online and they didn't have the programs and things to teach those children while they were home. They've lost, they've lost two years of schooling. Things like that just are not, you know, we were not prepared for, we didn't think about it. We should have been prepared for them. We should have seen these things happening in other natural disasters, hurricanes and things like that. But we always seem to be a little bit behind as we, you know, scramble uh, to work in other areas. But, but children with disabilities certainly are going to be highly impacted, uh, whether it's in their family, whether it's young people who are going to, uh, going to specific kind of work environments or sheltered work environments, and they're not going there anymore. All of those things have an impact on, on children. And um, so this is something that uh, the National Council on Disabilities right now is working on. We're preparing a paper that discusses all of these kind of hidden aspects of COVID that have affected the disability community disproportionately uh, from other communities. Yeah, thank you for that insight. You know, when we think about disabilities, are, you know, there's a lot in the life science industry, a lot of obviously research and development goes on when it, as it relates to rare diseases, as it relates to cancer and oncology drugs. Are, is, is there research and development uh, in this country, you know, similar to what we see in the pharma sector? Is that also, you know, maybe not monetarily the same amount, but is there, do you think there's enough R&D and, and research uh, to dis, on disability uh, being undertaken in this country? Well, let me suggest uh, that the first thing is that there isn't enough, um, there hasn't been enough research from the point of view of there hasn't been enough data collection. You know, it's only been um, since I was uh, in 2007, was in, the, uh, was in the Office of Disability Employment Policy as the Assistant Secretary of Labor that we even began counting the number of people with disabilities who are employed or unemployed in this country. That is a fundamental piece of data that's needed. And the same thing is true here. We have a situation where we're looking at things like, how do we know what people with disabilities have, have died from AIDS? Do we have that or are, you know, is it been, you know, are there death certificates reflecting that, you know, so-and-so passed away from AIDS, but they were also a person uh, with an intellectual or developmental or a mobility disability? Doesn't say. We don't know that. So right there, there's a lack of data collection that tells us, that gives us clues as to what needs to be done in the case of something like this happening again. So things like that need to be fixed, but the first level, of course, is always more information, learning more. And for too long, you know, you've probably heard this expression before. You know, if they, you know, if they're not counting you, then you probably don't count. And that's really sad. And that is often the truth in the disability community. Are there websites available where uh, people can go to learn more about uh, you know, people with disabilities and maybe even to make donations? Well, I, you know, uh, donations, I would be off that, 
that. I mean, there are some wonderful groups, the American Association of People with Disabilities, the National Council on Independent Living, remarkable organizations that work very, very hard. And they'd probably be in the donation end. But certainly the National Council on Disabilities, which is a simple ncd.com, would have a great deal of information for people to look and and learn and, you know, uh, hopefully understand uh, understand disability in a light that helps them understand that it's it's not some odd person it's the guy next to you it's the person next to you and you have about a you have about a 70 percent chance of being one of those people in not too distant future so uh you can find a lot of great information on ncd.gov mr romano thank you so much for your time today and thank you for that valuable insight Greatly appreciate you sharing that insight with us. A pleasure. Always a pleasure to be on your show. Thank you, sir. That was Mr. Neil Romano, uh, former chairman at the National Council of Disability and head of the U.S. Department of, former head of the U.S. Department of Labor's Office of Disability Employment Policy. I want to thank Mr. Romano for joining us today and thank you as well for your time and joining us. Uh, Have a great weekend, and we look forward to speaking with you again next week. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Politics and Life Sciences Radio with Dr. Dean L. Finelli. For more information, check us out at facebook.com slash politics and life sciences.